Greetings. This is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres. I'm your host. And our special guest today is Kia Baker. Kia is the creator and host of Hot Topics Live, a live stream interview series, as well as the Female Veterans Podcast and the Woman Warrior Stories, which is a video series hosted on the Veterans Channel. The, chan- the goal of the Veterans Podcast is to give female veterans a platform to share their real stories, good and bad, while changing the prevailing perception that veterans are only men. After serving in the U.S. Navy, she spent 20 years helping other veterans make the transition from active duty to civilian life. Her passion for empowering women and veterans inspired her to broaden her reach by connecting with organizations that advocate for female veterans. Her mission is to shine a light on female veteran stories, help the female veterans thrive in life and advocate for alternative therapies for sick and suffering veterans. Kia holds an MBA in finance and accounting and is also an alumni of the Milton Hershey School. She works closely with Passageways Limited, a foundation that helps homeless veterans transition back to thriving in life, as well as ARIS, an organization that empowers women to exceed their own expectations. And in addition to those two, she volunteers for a third group, the Barbara Gier Donner Foundation, where she volunteers to give transformational workshops to female veterans. In addition to these things, she's very busy. As you can see, she's dedicated. She is a member of the board for Hope for Veterans, a nonprofit that helps female veterans residing in the state of Florida through peer support. Kia is a graduate of the London Real Academy and now coaches Rapid Transformation Accelerators for the London Real Academy. Kia, it is a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you very much for being here. How are you doing? Well, let me just tell you how much of an honor it is to have been invited. So thank you for that. And I'm amazing. Thank you it's for asking. Privilege to have you on this show. Aw. So oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so female veteran advocate. Mm-hmm. You have pointed your life in the direction of helping female veterans. Having been one yourself, I understand the correlation, but to take that step where you actually make the point of your daily work be to help female veterans, it's very specific and pointed. And I wanna ask you, what inspired you, motivated you, or really gave you the passion to do that? Well, to be honest with you, after I got out of the military, um, I thought I was going to rule the world. Like I was never going to be a career girl. I was laying a foundation for my life. And from leaving the military, I thought I was just going to just take over, just eat life. But three years later, I found myself jobless, about to be homeless and left penniless by my husband of five years. Oh, wow. Um, and I had a struggle. Like I had a, a, a big moment in my life where I had to pick myself back up, rely on some female veteran sisters and civilian sisters. And they helped me um, sort of get my life back together and recover from that divorce. And, um, and then I learned about all these programs and things that I wasn't utilizing um, that the Veterans Affairs offers right? Department Um, of Veterans Affairs. And so I began to realize then that a lot of veterans didn't know how to apply, didn't know how to get them to get what they deserve, what they served for. So 
actually began with me helping all veterans, not just females. But how it evolved 20 some years later into being very pointed at female veterans was I always knew that it was different being a female in the military that are, the perspective is completely different. The experience is completely different just by virtue of the fact that we're a woman and we are in this environment that's number one, predominantly male. And number two has been for such a long time, right? Yeah. For a lot of years. And so um, historically speaking, women in the military is still relatively new, right? So just knowing all of that, um, and I actually read an article on Twitter of all places that said that it was actually two articles. One of them said that the suicide rate for female veterans was on the rise and that it was 250% higher than our civilian counterparts. And I was like, gagged. <laughs> I was just like, I could, I, I'm going to faint. Like this is what, what year was incredible. that? Incredible. This is when I want to, this was three years ago. Yeah, this was three years ago. Oh, just three years and ago. This okay. was three years ago. And um, and then the next one I read was about uh, homelessness amongst the female veterans community being on the rise. And I actually met with my um, business mentor and uh, we were talking about um, the direction I was moving in with my career. And she said, you know what? I've never heard you more passionate about anything than the situations that are occurring with female veterans. She's like, you really got to do something about that. I think that's your purpose of life. And it was like such an aha moment. Um, she's actually the president of Eris, the company that oh, I work closely with. Right and she, her whole business is about empowering women and helping women to achieve their goals. And so I was like, wow, what a profound statement. And the kind of woman that she is, she said, let's go do something right now. What can we do? And I said, you know, we were in Los Angeles and I said, um, let's call the vet center and see if there's any homeless female veterans that we can go give food to, you know, go give them some stuff. We'll go make some care packages and pass them out. And so we couldn't meet with them until the next day. And when we went there, um, we were told, uh, Sharon, was who was in charge, the outreach coordinator at the time. She was lovely. And she said to me, which I will never forget, if you really want to do something for female veterans, you know, it's nice that you want to give them food that will help them today. You know, maybe a blanket that'll help them for a little while. She's like, but if you really want to do something, give them a voice. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to do it. That's cool. I can see that. Yeah. That's really cool. So you started doing that and it was, it was basically the homelessness, the job search that were the two main catalysts that you saw where women were in need or veterans, but also women, of course, because women are veterans too, but that was the two main points that you saw. Yeah. I, I saw that. And I knew from experience that um, the transition from active duty to civilian life can be challenging. So I already knew that yeah. and for myself. I had been nearly homeless, you know, so I understood that how it happens and it could happen to anyone. Yeah. Um, and I and I also 
was concerned about the suicide rate amongst male and female veterans, but knowing that the suicide rate for female veterans was gaining so much momentum, I thought action has to be taken. And why not me? You know, that that's interesting because, so I, I just retired. I mean, I, Mm -hmm. I stopped working at the beginning of December because I was on terminal leave. Right. And I just finished a career in the U S coast guard. And I'm thinking back to all the times that they, that we did on all hands and all hands is where you get everybody on, you know, you all get into a room and the big bosses talk to everybody and we're doing these all hands. And, uh, I never heard the stats paired out by gender. I never Mm -hmm. heard them talk about suicide rates, differences between men and women. They only talked about suicide rate as a total. Mm-hmm. And my wife was uh, in the military. She was in the Coast Guard as well. She's medically retired. And I know for a fact, not just by observation, but through her experiences, that, yeah, it, it's, it's harder. It is harder on women to be in the military. That is for sure. We, I mean, I'm not sure if you agree with that, but I mean, it kind of seems like I think you might, but I want to get what your idea is, or what your thoughts are on. I, I do think it's harder for most women in the military because just like you said, it is predominantly male. And I don't know, I've just, I've heard and I've seen it and I've heard it. And it's, and it's unfortunate that when a female gets into a position of authority, there's, there's, you can almost sense not all, not all females, but some of them. And my wife worked for the first female officer to command a naval ship in the, in the, in the U S military. It was a coast guard ship actually. And her experience with that was the CEO drove the crew into the ground trying to prove that she was worthy. That's what I'm getting at, is that it, it, it becomes like a, you finally got into this position and you're afraid you're going to lose it because you are a woman or whatever, and you feel like you have to actually overperform. I don't know if that was your experience or not, but now, what was your experience when you were in the military and what were your observations? So... Um, it was very different for me in the military. I was on a command with a lot of women. Okay. And so I can say this, that um, the experience for women is more challenging in a lot of ways because there is a constant need to perform as well as the guys do, but also better, right? And we do have something to prove all the time. So it is, um, it can be very difficult. Also, if you are on a command where you're the first woman or you're one of very few women and you're surrounded by guys, you can be met with a lot of different energies and some of them are toxic. For example, you could be met with um, a lot of harassment or you could be met with a lot of, well, you know, that kind of thing. Like we used to be able to sit in this office space and watch porn during the day and no one would say anything. And now there's this chick here and now we feel weird watching our porn, but we're still doing it, right? Like, or maybe they're mad because they can't do it. You know what I mean? So there's different energies that can come into play. Was that actually allowed on the Navy ships or was that like not allowed? (laughs) So I wasn't on a ship. I okay. was, I was on in the office, command. like, this is like in an office setting. Yeah. 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 yeah I was, um, so I was Navy of yes. Um, hospital Corps, okay. and I was stationed at Naval hospital, great lakes, which is the training, um, oh, the right. whole training command for boot camp for the, the Navy and everything. And I was there, um, just after desert storm, 
but before 9-11 and all okay. of that. So I got out right before 9-11. I was still actually in the reserves, but okay. I, was, I didn't have to go. I was finished. Um, so it was a different era is my point. Yeah. And it was, there was a different administration. And so they, I, the Clinton administration def, uh, decreased defense spending. So they weren't moving. I was at a base where people um, didn't want to go to. So they were like, well, we got bodies. So we're not moving you. So I didn't get to go anywhere or see anything, <laughs> which was one of the reasons I joined the Navy. I, I went on a frigate as a tour so I could see. <laughs> I wanted to see because I never got to go on a ship. I never got to even go to another duty station. I was at Great Lakes the entire time that I was active. So it was a, a very different experience than a lot of people have. Yeah. Um, and especially during the time period that I was in, but I did get to um, witness a lot of things that um, were, I think, eye-opening. And I did also, I will admit, get up to some shenanigans while I was serving. So I, I have kind of a different experience. I was very lucky. Um, and my experience, and I had an amazing time serving until the day that I didn't. And after that, I sort of made some adjustments and was very focused on getting out of the military, finishing my obligation, and then just getting out with an honor. That was my whole goal was to just have an honorable discharge. <laughs> and then there was a few times where I wasn't so sure, but I did it. <laughs> and that honorable makes a difference. It's like, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a, it's, it makes yeah. a difference. Wow. So yeah. what made you want to get out? Well, the day that I went to boot camp, <laughs> what made me want to get out. I um, I arrived. They sent me on train from Philadelphia to Chicago, right? And then I had to take another train to get up to North Chicago. And so I got myself to the to the base. I got myself to the base. And so what I did was I walked through the gate and I went to the gate guard and I reported. Right. And then he said, you know, hold on. And they were trying to get me to the right place. And I'm standing there <laughs> in my jeans and my little T-shirt with my little suitcase um, and just like looking around. And I was looking at the buildings and I saw the Smurfs. It was what they call uh, new recruits in our little blue Navy uh, sweatsuits. Okay. And I saw the Smurfs like marching in formation and and then all the other, you know, people were at different parts of their boot camp experience, different weeks. And I just was like looking around and I was like, oh no. <laughs> what have I done? This was a mistake. I'm like, this is not for me. This is not for me. And and I was like, but I'm here and I'm gonna do it. And how old were you? I was I enlisted at 17. Oh, I was a junior in high God. school, but I, but I was 19 when I, yeah. I took a delayed enlistment. I finished high school. I took the summer and then I went in just before Thanksgiving in 1999. So that I'm sorry, 1994. Okay. That, that, uh, that still blows my mind. There's no way I would have been able to enlist or go to an academy when I was out of high school. There's no, I mean, I looked into the military when I was in high school and I almost did something similar to that, where you, mm -hmm. you go through boot camp between your junior and senior year. And then mm -hmm. after your senior year, you go in and you're all the way in and you're drilling, you're drilling during your senior year. But 
I was not, I, I still, I got it. I give a lot of credit to the people who have done that because when I was 18 and let alone 17, there's no way I was looking for that type of, and it does, that actually sounds like when you got there, you may not have been looking for it too, but <laughs> you signed up for it and, and, I you, did. and you, and you did it. I mean, that's a, I, I don't know. I know some people like when, when I talk with people that have enlisted when they're 18, I'm just like, wow, that is, that's intense. You're going from high school schedule to full on accountability and weapons. <laughs> Maybe, right? Well, so we didn't have weapons no. at boot camp. I did do my gun calls later. Okay. <laughs> so to speak, anyways, it was very um I was very, we'll say, treated babied. I don't know. And anyway, but that's another thing that you can also face as a woman <laughs> serving in the military. It is not always negative in an obvious way. It can sometimes be negative in a way that it's very, I don't know, gentlemanly in a way. This is not the place for it, right? You so, know what? Here's yeah. how Teresa described it as my wife. She was like, you're either the sister or you're the slut. That's what she that, saw. That's what that yeah, was her experience. Yeah. I mean, I could see that. I could I could see that. Um I was often I was always the sister. <laughs> That's good. You know what That's I mean? Good. I was always the sister, <laughs> but but my um my sense of humor was always a little bit crass <laughs> anyway, right? Um a little bit darker, a little bit crass. So going into the military just are already fed into that. So I wasn't as um sensitive like I, my my friends were always guys and I was always privy to lot like locker room talk and stuff like that so it didn't a lot of things that maybe would have phased other girls didn't phase me in that way but I will say that it wasn't appropriate right, <laughs> right? like no, I'm aware that a lot of behaviors were inappropriate but because I was the sister and it didn't phase me Right. I was privy to a, probably a lot more inappropriate behavior than some of the other girls. Um, but I, I, it wasn't appropriate technically, but I was not offended by it. I know what you mean. I get it. And that's what I get it. I do. I get it. It is interesting. It, it is, it is interesting. And, and having just gotten out a little bit ago, it's something that the military is still struggling with. I mean, they're, they're struggling to help veterans, period. But on top of it, you have women that, that are having issues caused by a male dominated organization that do need attention. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. I think every woman's experience is different and every woman's story is valid. We, we, um, not everyone has a bad experience, but I can tell you, I interview a lot of female veterans um, not all of them come on the show. Sometimes we just have a conversation, um, come across them in workshops and stuff like that. And I can tell you every single woman has witnessed something, yeah. if not experienced it, whether she was, you know, felt offended by it or not. It That's the culture. I mean, we, you know, we used, <laughs> we used to hear stuff like a baby doesn't come in a sea bag. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Like that that's like that's part of the culture. That's part of the, the vernacular. Yeah. 
And so it is very different. And so therefore, when women come out of the military, the transition out is also very different because we do have to assimilate to an extent, whether we like it or not. Like when I saw what was happening at boot camp and I thought, oh my God, this is not for me. I knew before I went in that I was more of a hippie sort of girl and that this kind of environment was probably not what I would pick for myself, but I had to do it because I wanted to go to college, number one, it was a great way for me to go to college. Um, number two, it was my mom's dream. And I was doing that for her. Okay. And she said that it was gonna be uh, the great foundation to start my life off. And she wasn't wrong. Uh, she was right. There, I, There's so much good that I took out of the military. And my experience was probably better than most until of course, the day it wasn't. <laughs> then, you said that then twice. It got stressful. I, 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 I loved yeah. it until the day I didn't. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have that though. Like something just happens. For example, you know, I, I worked in the pharmacy uh -huh. and I loved that job in the pharmacy. Um, I was a bit of a wild girl. So I, I would... Um, I was a private school girl. So Milton Hershey School is a private school, very structured. And I went from structured private school to even more structured military. And I was 19 years old. I, I was about ready to explode. <laughs> okay. So, and I did not, um, so there's, so, you know, there's a lot of programming that happens in boot yeah. camp, beginning in boot camp. Indoctrination, for me, and they are good at it. So for me, I had difficulty with that. So that posed a huge problem for me later. And eventually it caught up with me. We'll just say okay. it that way. Right. I had a hard time being programmed. And because I I was just inherently resistant to the programming, it, it caught up with me eventually. Um, and and the I had, there was a whole group of us that sort of met, like we magnetized to each other because we all sort of were these misfits that didn't fit in with the mentality of, of the Navy and our command. And so um, because of that, we became targets. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, it took a little time for them to get to me, but when, when it became my turn, I was very realistically looking at spending some years in the brig. What did you do, Kia? <laughs> It's more about what they thought I did. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. What I actually did. In fact, the charge, when I ask them, <laughs> I will go back to say that I worked in the pharmacy uh -huh. and I loved that job. In fact, when I left the Navy, I got a letter of appreciation from the command for my wow, services yeah. in the pharmacy. I loved that job. It was, I was, had all the privileges of a pharmacist and it was what I was best in in um, core school. And pharmacology just has always been something that, you know, science and understanding medicines and things like that was just really cool. Yeah. So I worked there. And at the time when I worked there, um, I got a guy that started stalking me. He started harassing me. Um, like, but like, a, he like, was, active, like a military person. Yeah, he was military. He uh, started showing up at my job, told me that a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, um, said that he should come talk to me about finding drugs, about drugs. 
And I was like, I don't know how to help you, my friend. <laughs> like, I don't know what you, what you want to do or whatever. And so I will preface this by saying, um, I took a lot of, I had found a lot of freedom. This is actually what my book is about. <laughs> this book I've been writing about, uh, it's a fiction, but it's based on true, my true experience in the military. Um, and it's about sort of how I was able to cope with being in. And what I found was dancing was that way for me. So I would go when I was 19. So I was 20, I was underage and I was too young to get into a nightclub. Okay. But I was not too young to go to these underground Chicago parties in the city. So there's like 20 bucks to go and you could dance all night. Well, the thing is, is there's a lot of drugs that happen at these parties and I don't have to be doing those drugs. Okay. But I, they were there. So what happened was, what was really happening actually was there was a crew of us going and we were like, I don't know if you've ever seen that show America's Best Dance Crew that used to come on MTV, but it was like a, it was about groups of dancers and they'd create routines and they'd sort of battle each other and someone would win. Yep, well, we were yeah. sort of a crew like that. And we would go to these underground parties and, you know, there were break dancers and all sorts of <laughs> dancers. And we would go and have like either just dance or sometimes there'd be dance battles and it would, we'd win sometimes, you know, it was like fun. And, but during the day we're in uniform, right? But at the same time, we were trained corpsmen. So at these parties where there were lots of drugs and lots of kids, we were helping people. You know, there, there's a lot of stories of things that we saw and did to help people, car accidents, drug overdoses, domestic situations that we yeah. intervened on. We were older. We were 20. A lot of these kids were high school kids. I know. Right. Wow. And so we would go. And so there's a lot of that's kind of what the book is about is sort of what we were what we were because we were there. We helped so many people. All right. So, but you had the training to do it. You we had the training to do it. Right. And we took an oath to do it. Yeah. So, but during the day <laughs> we were in uniform and it was a problem when it, once it became known what we were doing, it became a problem. Okay. And so and that was basically that's, the, the optics of it. Right. Yeah. It was the optics. So um, eventually they sent this guy, this was all, a setup, by the way, they sent Sounds this guy like around. Sounds, that's what I was. And um, he was wearing a wire. And um, one day, I, I didn't know, I just was trying to get rid of this kid. So, and he was like pressuring me, pressuring, pressuring me. And he'd call me at work and I'd be working, right? And like, it was stalking. It was to the point where he was stalking me. And I had a friend and I won't mention, she was, she was the daughter of a significant person on the base. We'll just leave it like that. Okay. And she was a friend of mine and she used to come over to my apartment and hang out. And um, one of these nights we were hanging out, I was complaining to her about this guy that wouldn't leave me alone. I was feeling like stalked and all of this. And she was like, hmm, what's his name? And I told her and she said, you know what? Don't talk to him anymore. That name sounds familiar. And it sounds like someone who has just been, who was in trouble a while ago. And she was like, I'll get back to you and I will let you know, you know, whatever. And she didn't give me any direct information except to say, I was right. Don't talk to that kid. Do whatever you have to do to get away from him. Right. So I said, okay. 
So I tried a couple of times to just tell him whatever, to get him to leave me alone. And then um, eventually he did. He just left me alone. I, I gave him the number to a friend of mine who was um, a civilian. And I said, you know, call this number and, you know, maybe someone will help you there. And when he called that number, she was like, no, no, sorry. And she sort of hung up and, I, and he came back to me and I was like, sorry, that was the best I could do. And that was my way of sort of getting him off me. And he left me alone. But what happened after that was um, one day, some uh, the head of security came and said, Baker, get in full uniform. Because I was always in a tech jacket. And I was always out of uniform for the most part anyway. <laughs> but he was like, get in uniform and come meet me at the security office. So I went and I put on my full uniform, got my cover. And, um, and then there were these two men there. And, and I was like, okay, what's going on? And he was like, go with these men. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And they put me in handcuffs and they put me in the back of a unmarked car. And I was like, I'm about to be raped and murdered. Like, legit, like that is exactly what I thought. I was like, oh my God, this isn't, this, they're going to kill me. They're going to, they're, and that is what came to my mind. And so I was like freaking out inside <laughs> and um they took me to this building that was unmarked i'd never seen anyone go in and out of this building it was actually next to where we worked out then it was in like the legal complex of the base but i'd never seen it i thought it was just like an old empty building i didn't know anyone ever went in there so they took me up all these steps this room and it was like something out of a movie it was like a two-way window and it was like and i legit got interrogated and, and during this interrogation, they played back to me conversations I had with this kid and questioned me about them. And so- You had no other proof. Yeah. And so then they were like, well, we want to search your court. You know, we've searched your quarters and we want to search. We know that you have an apartment, you know, with a friend off base. We want to search it and we want to search. And I'm like, first, my, my car had just been- I had just gotten a car accident. My friend was driving it. It was wrecked. It was gone. So I was like, no, you can't search my car. It's gone. And they were like, we want to search this apartment. I'm like, no, I have two civilian roommates. I'm not going to put them through that. Why do you need to search anything? Why am I here? Like, and so they told me that they were going to charge me with intent to distribute crystal meth. And I was like, I honestly, on my life, on the lives of my kids, I had never even seen it. I, I heard the name Yeah, that was at those underground parties. And I know that there were drugs there, but I didn't know what even that was. I had no idea. So I started laughing and I will tell you that laugh probably saved my life because it was so ridiculous to me. <laughs> I just started laughing. I was yeah. like, what? Are you crazy? Like what? And I started laughing and then they were like, well, you know, we know you go to these parties you know, what are you doing there? And I'm like, dancing, <laughs> like, I'm dancing. I just like dancing. Well, you know, why are you dressing like this? And I'm like, because that's how you, the style, when you go to these parties, you wear baggy pants so you can move, you take a backpack so that you can have all your supplies. Like that's just sort of the trend of, go so really I, I was there for hours and I had to go through all of this stuff with them and they let me go. But that had a profound impact on yeah. the rest of my life. Like those moments leading up 
to that interrogation and that interrogation. Now, I'll tell you, I haven't even shared this on my own show, by the way. Okay. Um, I think I shared it with uh, on an, the Ra Ra maybe with Twee, but this is really only the second time I've told the story to anyone that doesn't, you know, know me super closely. So here's an exclusive for you. you. (laughs) Um, But yes, that's what happened. And that was the day my military experience changed because then I was like, okay, my life is in danger here. And I see what they're doing to everyone who knows me. Everyone in my circle faced something similar to a certain extent. Um, my best guy friend in the military, they actually ended up administratively discharging him because they. I actually testified for him. The reason this actually happened was because I testified for him two times in court when they were trying to court martial him. And be, I was a star witness that got him off. Okay. So they didn't like him and it was sort of guilt by association. And there was a whole group of us that sort of, didn't get that gung-ho sort of programming. And so we were just, we were there, but we were sort of free-spirited and um, it was a problem. It was something that our, like certain people in the command didn't appreciate. There were others who didn't care, who didn't mind. I had a, I, I will say this by also the pharmacy staff that I worked with was top-notch and I had an amazing commander and first petty officers, like the pharmacy was amazing. Once they got to know me at first, they they were nervous because of rumors and people thought- You don't wanna be associated. It's like, right. oh, this is a problem child. Don't bring Yeah, exactly. But once they got to know me and that's what always is the case. I mean, I'm not everybody's cup of tea, but like usually once people get to know yeah, me, they're very, like, oh, okay. I don't know how you couldn't be many people's <laughs> cup of tea. Aw. Thank you. Thank you. So, but yeah, that's the story. So how much time, how long did you stay in? Like from that point that that happened, how much longer did you have to serve? I had two years. Two after that. (laughs) Was it a four year, six year hitch? I had five years active, three, three years in active reserve obligation. Right on. Yeah. Okay. That's uh. I know there's more to it. I know there's more to it, but we got we got some other topics we're going to wait do. for the book. <laughs> it's all I in know. the book. <laughs> so, the work that you're doing with veterans now, and mm-hmm. alternative medical paths. What kind of stuff are we talking about? So um, I'm also I'm actually a disabled vet as oh. well. I left the military um, with chronic fatigue. Epstein-Barr virus and um, fibromyalgia and chronic migraines. There's a lot of other symptoms that go along with that. But um, over these years, I've had to learn how to manage them and all of these things. And I've tried a lot of things because, I mean, let's just talk about, we're not even going to go into chronic fatigue and Epstein-Barr virus, which most people know nothing about even today. Um, Let's talk about fibromyalgia because most people can recognize that today. Okay, but back in the 90s, it was unheard of. And I was actually even lucky to get that as a diagnosis on my first try, right? Yeah. However, most doctors had no clue how to treat me. And I'm talking even just bedside manner. <laughs> like they had no idea what to do with 
with and how to help me. So I had to figure it out. What through, as I said, I like science. So I like experimentation. So I create a hypothesis and I test some stuff out on myself and see what worked and see what didn't work. And I created a plan of my own healthcare that at this time in my life, because these things get worse as you get older. So flash forward some 20 years that I have them managed well. Because I was open to looking at alternative therapies other than, I mean, let's see, 2016, uh, 2015 to 2016 in that winter, I thought I was going to die. I came to the conclusion that if I didn't change my life, I was going to die. Earlier than you should. Way earlier than I should. And it was because my entire 30s, I listened to everything they told me to do. I took every pill. I tried everything. Medical professionals. Exactly. And uh, no, no shade on them. They weren't trying to help me. But I I got an opinion on that too. (laughs) I get what you're saying. They're trying to help you, but they're stuck within their little box of what exactly what they're actually willing to, to even look at because the box is so small that they have to operate in mm-hmm. that they just want to get you in and out as long as you if your blood work hey you're closer to being a normal but your quality of life is sucks hey too bad your blood work looks good next exactly exactly especially if you go through va healthcare. Oh, um boy. so um and not it's not only the va either you know, it, it's just, it depends. It, like you have to go to so many different doctors to even get, to even find the person that's willing to really hear you and see you, right? Sometimes. And so for me, over all those years, I gathered enough information to know um, what, so I ha- I was able to have a bit more of a life in my late 20s after I left the military because as soon as I got out of the military, I mean, we'll we'll just say it that way. I started smoking weed, maybe a little bit before I got out. We'll just leave it at that. And um, because I wasn't so much pain, I had to do something. So I started trying things very early, like in my mid twenties to sort of treat myself. I didn't, I didn't always realize that's what I was doing. Self, like I was self-medicating, but not in the traditional, like negative way. I was really trying to find ways to exist because I naturally have no energy anymore. Um, get it. I could be bedridden. Like I am in a health status to where I could live my life in, in bed and have caretakers. I could. Well, that's amazing because I first met you last year and I would have never guessed that that is something that if you, if you allowed your, your existence to go in that direction, I would have never guessed that that was, that was it because you're, you're, you're that good kid. You're that great. You got a great smile. You're always, I mean, it's like, wow. Sweet. (laughs) Exact opposite of like when I hear it. Yeah. I could actually be bedridden right now if, if I didn't, make put the good foot forward and say no i'm not gonna accept this mm-hmm. that's that's uh that's pretty wild actually and i think i spent a lot of time in bed actually in my 30s almost most of my 30s i had help with my kids i, I had to quit working i i work for myself now because it's the only way i can work i 
I can't work for an organization because of my special needs. So, so what is it? So you said you're, you have no natural energy no. in your body. So what, what kind of medication? I mean, if you don't, do you mind talking about it? Like what kind no, of, I don't mind. I'd love okay. to help people. So, if anyone so, out there has the same things. So my mother has Addison's disease, which means her mm-hmm. complete endocrine system is, is failed. It failed. And she went through a severe exhaustion, almost died. And she's on her, her, her complete endocrine system is, is, is synthetic. Mm-hmm. So that's where, so I can relate to what you're saying. And I was just curious. I mean, I know like my mother has, she, they got her on prednisone, they got her on all kinds of stuff, but those yeah. things, you know, they have side effects and that's where, mm-hmm. that's where I'm curious as to, to how you're, how you're managing it. And, and if you're still using cannabis now, if you, if you're a person of faith, do you believe that there's more to this life than just a material or maybe a life after this life? Or maybe you grew up with something like that. Let's talk about that, Kia. Let's talk okay, about so get ready. Like, <laughs> let's go with, let's go with we, we hit the cannabis. We're gonna come back to the cannabis. Let's start like this. Did you grow up with any type of religion or worldview in your home? All right. I was born into Islam. Okay. My name is Zakia. My father converted um, in the whole week of Malcolm X and all of that. Yeah. My mother converted along with them when I was born. I was born as Muslim. My mother and father split up when I was three. She left the faith. I became Catholic. Okay. <laughs> um, I was Catholic until about uh, fourth grade. And then I was going through my confirmation and I asked, um, how come I couldn't talk to God myself? Like, why did I have to talk to the priest? And they were like, because you do. And I didn't think that was sufficient. So I became a Christian. <laughs> okay. Amen. I did not confirm. Amen. <laughs> and I was nine, <laughs> by the way. So then I got my whole family to become Christians. <laughs> right. And, um, and get, we were very religious for a, a very long period of time. Now, very, religious. very religious what does that actually mean for no. me um i so i we went to church uh every week almost every week um at boarding school we had church but it was non-denominational okay. so um usually there was not a sermon the sermon was more like a motivational speech so at private school it was that but at home we would go to church very often um daily devotions um at boarding school and at home um and um yeah just reading my bible all the time um until i was about um i think until i was about 16 or 17 well oh it was uh okay so it was 15 so when i was 15 my mom had a nervous breakdown and she never really recovered from that Uh okay she became suicidal and all of these things and and um, I had to um, oftentimes sort of convince her not to kill herself. And I went through a lot of things in my teenage years. Um, and I think it was sometime between 17 and maybe 20 that I sort of shifted from being super religious into being more spiritual, um, where... I started to believe more in um, a divine energy um, 
and my perspective changed and began to change ever since then. So I will tell you as of now, I really don't follow any organized religion. Um, I am not particularly religious at all. I actually, (laughs) if I was going to be religious, I would be Baha'i, to be honest with you, but I'm not because I don't believe in organized religion. Um, And I also- Why Baha'i? Baha'i, because Baha'i is- Can you you tell us a little bit about it? Baha'i is beautiful. If you've ever seen the Baha'i temple, (laughs) like if you look them up, they're so gorgeous, but it's kind of just the way they believe that I vibe with, like internally, like really they accept all religions because they believe there's one universal energy, which is you would call God, right? And that divine source um, lives within all of us. And is an, and it appears it is the same thing in every different religion. So it doesn't matter what religion you are, we can accept each other because it's all one God. That's what you would say, right? So, um, so that is kind. I vibe with that. They also don't believe. They believe that marriage is an agreement with between two people. It doesn't necessarily need paperwork or pomp and circumstance unless you want that stuff, but it's actually two people that come to, so their marriage is two people meet in front of a group of people who are just sort of witnesses and say, hey, we, we, we decided we're committed to each other and that's it, which I love, <laughs> right? And, um, and they also do meditation, um, which is prayer is a meditation. So, you know, same, same potato, potato, right? Okay. But I, I just really am more into meditation, I guess, rather than praying to someone to help me, um, really. And so I read, I think when I was, um, so when I, I, I'm, I've been married twice, I'm divorced twice. Um, my, it's a good thing I'm not Catholic, by the way. Um, so when I was 27, I was going through my first divorce and I was given this book by my, um, I was referred to a counselor. My husband wouldn't go with me. So I went by myself. Would not, would not go with you. No, he, no, he wouldn't go. He said, this is ridiculous. I'm not doing that. So I said, okay. Um, so I went to counseling, right. And she gave me this book. Um, it was called, uh, it was written by a gentleman named Ernest Holmes and it's called the science of the mind. Um, and I was really nervous that it was going to be Scientology. <laughs> and she was like, it's not. So I, um, so no offense. <laughs> Scientology, That's all right. No, not right. my thing. Um, not my thing. But anyway, I um, started reading this book and it was incredible. It really opened my eyes to a different perspective. It is not a religion. It is a philosophy is what it is. Okay, so it's not like a Bible or anything. I didn't get into any cults or anything like that. But what it was, was a different perspective that I really identified with. It helped me to understand Jesus, energy, Christ consciousness, um, the abilities that we have, have, you would say, having been created in his image, what we're capable of. And, um, and so it really opened me up to that. And so I sort of shifted into um, believing and I guess I will say the energy, the divine energy that lives within, within me and that I'm a creator because I am, I am made in the image of a creator. And um, so I create and that's what I do. And if I had to say, if what I believe in, I believe in love. That's my religion to quote John Keats. 
And um, and, and so uh, I think uh, Ziggy Marley, love is my yes, that's right. And that. um, and so that's how I go forth each day, trying to be humble, trying to be a good human, trying to love my brothers and sisters, trying to do good work, trying to help people, and just letting love lead the way. So love is my religion now. Yeah, that's cool. That is yeah. cool. That's uh, that's uh, if you're not going to be associated with religion. That's the one thing I, I can say, yep, that's a good one to hold on to, for sure. Okay, so now cannabis. Let's switch over to cannabis now. So you grew up born in Islam, mm -hmm. parents divorced, mother converted to Catholicism, you went with her, realized, hey, there's something up with this, I'm not, not completely comfortable here, and you went to church, and then you shifted a little bit more to the to the side where it's it's more of a focus on love so were you getting were you getting were you not getting that focus on love when you were going to church i went to a lot of churches <laughs> so i, I experienced a lot of different things in fact i would probably choose baha'i but i love the lutheran church Ooh. that was my favorite um aside of the way the philosophy of the belief system behind Baha'i. Um, I love the reverence. I love a hymn. I love to bow my head. I love to be solemn and quiet. Like you wouldn't think that, but <laughs> that's, that's what I prefer. One hour, just, you know, you're giving your gratitude and your thanks, your worship, right? And then you go about your life. Okay. So my mom and my sister and my family though, were about that four hour long church with lots of singing and dancing and a lot of, you know, and, and so the thing is, is because I'm really observant and every single church that I have joined over time, unfortunately, the energy conflicts with my own energy. So, and it may just be my experience. I'm sure there are lots of wonderful, warm churches, but it always seemed to create division. And there was politics involved and, or, or, or sometimes it felt like sexism, like the way the, the way the Bible was being presented felt, yeah. you know, that's common. Yeah. No. And, and so those were the experiences I was having. I, I went to one church, I was thinking about joining and she was like, we don't dance here. We don't allow dancing. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, I, so I felt controlled and I felt um, like there was a lot of limited beliefs actually. When, when to me, if I was going to, if I was going to create a religion, <laughs> it would be loving. And I think that's what they were meant to be. But I think, but I think a lot of, you know, humans by nature can be corrupted. And humans Absolutely. by nature can become hateful and judgmental and Absolutely. unforgiving. And I think power also makes people change. So I think sometimes these things all in conjunction are can become really negative. And my experiences largely, even as I think there was one church I really liked and my mom didn't like the way the pastor was conducting it. She asked me not to go back and I listened to her, which was really sad because I really liked that church. It was like the only church I ever found that I really liked on my own. Yeah. Um, besides Lutheran. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how it was for me. So I felt like it was oppressive and controlling and um, judgmental and not, and non-forgiving exactly op the opposite of everything that I had read 
I mean, there was a time I probably could quote most of the Bible back to you that I was so involved with it. Um, so what my understanding and what I learned and what I, I understood from what I was reading was completely different than what I was experiencing. So that's unfortunate, but it is. I, I can definitely relate to that. So I'll tell you, we actually haven't found a church. We were going to a church for a while. And my wife and I, after every Sunday, we would fight. And I was like, what is going on? We should, and when we started listening, so we listen to the messages always, right? And so when it comes to us, it's like, we didn't want to take our kids from one church to the next and while well, we try out churches and basically listen to them, right? We want to listen to the message and mm -hmm. see what the atmosphere is like. Like, what are the people like, right? And Unfortunately, your, the experience that you had is, I think, is too common. And I think that's sad because the church is becoming known for all these things that it's against. And those things, that list of things is longer than the things that it's for. And that's people. It's like, mm -hmm. we're here to love one another. That, that's what Christ said in the, new, in, in, in the Gospels. The new commandment I give you love one another and they're like what about what about people we don't like <laughs> love them too <laughs> we increase our faith and it's like you can do it and yeah. and uh and the way that the way that I, and this is this is the part that really blows my mind is that i think everybody in their heart of hearts knows that they don't measure up to the standard that jesus sets for the be in the in sermon on the mount right everybody fails and the religious hypocrites that he was talking to he called them religious hypocrites he said you bring the law down to a place where it looks like you're doing it but you're not you're missing mercy you're missing justice you're missing taking care of people that are impoverished that was his correction for them and it's it is an interesting thing and and i think it's it's sad to see so many people, because I mean, you see, you see a lot of headlines right now, not a lot, but you see them more frequently, that Western nations are, are going away from Christianity and, and going away from organized religion, period. Mm -hmm. And it's sad because organized religion, I think, well, I think I would say on the, on the Christian side, it should be something other than what it is. It should be love. It should be love. I'm not saying that you know, I don't run a church, so I'm not faced with all the questions that a pastor or anybody who runs a church mm -hmm. has has to has to deal with. But you, when you said that it, it creates divisions, yes, there are. It, it's it's and it's that's the part that's sad. That one that one eats me up sometimes, and, and I, I got to get past it too sometimes because you're just kind of like, my goodness, you know, you can see that this which is any church is doing some good. They're helping people, but it seems like it's like very limited. I should say more limited than it should be. So you went, that was your experience. And now mm -hmm. I completely understand that. And when I was a young, when I was a young kid, less than 10, my parents were in a denomination with extra biblical material. And one of the people, one of the groups of people in that, in that book, they were, they did evil things and, and God punished them by turning their skin dark. And my question to my parents was, why does God see skin, dark skin being a punishment? Oh, I had no answer. Awful. My parents were mixed race. Like my, 
my dad was second generation Mexican-American. I'm third. And my mother is Irish and English. And, and they didn't, they, their, their answer was, you have to pray about that. <laughs> I was like, and I didn't, I was like, okay, this just ain't for me. So, and that's, that is, that is where it's like, these are, you know, these are kids, you know, these are kids. And then it's just, it's a sad thing. And I don't want to dwell on it. <laughs> so let's, 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 let's uh, switch over to something that helps put a smile on our faces. It helps us sit back and relax and kind of take a, a deeper inventory of what's going on inside us and around us. <laughs> and they say that the skunkier it smells, the better it is. And I can, I think there's a lot of truth to that because I've smoked that Mexican brick weed when I got out of high school. And I was like, <laughs> Man, that stuff is, you got to break it all up. It's all coming back. You're not sure if you're getting what you paid for. You're trying to figure all that out. And then you're like, this joint is just like, it's legend all over the place. It's falling up all now this stuff is, you know, there's no brick. They just, it's just all fluffy in a bag or a jar. And it's, yeah. so I, I use it. I use it. It's helped me transition. It really has helped me transition a lot. And, and that is basically helping me get out of, I mean, you could, I could try to put, I could say a lot of cliches to it. You know what I mean? But none of them would really fully encapsulate the whole comprehensive impact that it had has on me it so let me ask you how what kind of impact does it have on you well um so when you suffer with fibromyalgia you ha often have pain you have it's nerve pain it's just your body just registers pain there are times when my kids cannot hug me there are times where i cannot stand on my legs um, there are times where you can just touch my arm and it, it, imagine if you will, like a big bruise, you know, when you have a big bruise on your arm somewhere and you touch it and it hurts. Yeah. Well, lots of parts of my body feel like that. I have a big bruise on them, but there's no bruise. So that's what makes it crazy for people because invisible illnesses, yeah. people tend to think it's all in your mind, yeah. right? Because they can't understand what you're feeling and what you're going through. So what it does for me, I made a decision when I moved out here to the West Coast, right, from Miami. I came out here and in Washington State, marijuana was recreationally legal already. So it was like going to the Garden of Eden, yeah. right? It was like, what I'm is do this? this is, there's no, I don't have to worry about getting arrested. Right. There's no fear. It eliminates this anxiety, right? And so, and then it broadens your options because it's a very thriving business out here. So I will tell you the first time I went into the dispensary, I was just like, oh my God. Like it was so organized. It was just like a pharmacy, <laughs> but it was right up my alley, right? And, that, and you have and, the per, you have the perspective on that. That's right. And then you have a bud tender, which was like my job, like a pharmacist, and you can ask them. So uh, essentially I could just say, I have a lot of body pain, but I don't want to be high out of my mind. Yeah. And they'll go, oh, okay, this is what you need. Right. Like, and that experience was like, oh, and I will tell you, it was really funny. Um, my veteran sister, she lives out here. She came actually for a visit for the first time. And um, she, we went to the dispensary together and she smoked. She's an avid smoker. She manages her um, pains and things like that the same, same way. And, but she was like, 
okay. She had like a grocery list. And she was like, I need something to help me wake up in the morning. I need something that'll give me a gentle body buzz for after I work out. I need something to give me an appetite. And I need something to calm me down after work and to help me sleep. And I was like, and then the bud tender was like, here you go. Well, you need to try this for this. And some people like this. And, so, and it was like, and I was just standing there like, is this real? What what world on? am I in? Exactly. <laughs> like, this yeah. is insane. So a little trial and error later, I started with CBD and I actually have an upcoming episode of the female veterans podcast when I, where I talk with my friend, April pride, she's the host of the high guide, a, a podcast for women teaching them how to get started and what strains and things like that. And now she's branching into psychedelics too, so which is really cool. And, um, and so essentially I, I was like that. She recommends starting with CBD. That's exactly what I started with. I started with a nice low um, CBD. Okay. And then I, after that, I got acclimated to that. And I was like, okay, well, let me, let me see if I can add in some THC. And so I did it the same way I would teach someone uh, or counsel someone when dispensing their meds, right? Yeah. I would say, you know, try a little bit and assess your tolerance. So start with a small dose assess your tolerance. How are you feeling? Be aware. And then it, it, you know, if you can take a little bit more, try a little bit more, or when that becomes like, it doesn't feel like it's doing it anymore, go up a little bit more and increase. But the beautiful thing is, is there's so many flavors to try. So you can have fun with, there's so much learning. Um, she recommended fruity flavors for people who want to just get started. I agree with that. Um, I am a huge, huge fan of oils. So I don't smoke flour anymore. My regular, you know, the, the herb itself. I don't marijuana. do that. You don't smoke yes. marijuana. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't, I, I, it is marijuana, but it's just yeah. an oil form. I know. Yeah. So it hits differently. And I use, yeah, I use a vape pen. Yeah. I, I am absolutely in love with my packs. Okay, my okay, packs. What is, what is packs? <laughs> my packs is a little vape pen. Okay. Um, you can you can Google it. You can find it online. You can buy it online. <laughs> okay, and it's called packs, and um, they have two kinds. There's the kind that is just the oil, and they have the kind that they actually you can crush up the flour and or use oil, and oh. it actually vaporizes the flour too, so it hits differently. That's the thing. That's so. Fun. It, it is really fun and you it's all this trial and error and learn error and learning these things and i love my packs i um i think actually makes me a better mom because it, it, you imagine being in chronic pain all the time how edgy you are no no i can relate right so yeah, relate. when my kids were smaller it was all cbd and and that's just because i still have some of that old programming right of don't you know don't you know don't smoke you know, it's bad you're, you're irresponsible if you you know you smoke weed and you have children right now, or any of that now, now i think i think for you for you that worked for you but there's other people that are like they actually need a little bit more of what you just said right they do need a little bit more responsibility and and that's the difference right is that it's not a one-size-fits-all it's like mm -mm. hey it's not like this is good for everybody like blanket no everybody's got different lives everybody has to have different goals and everybody has different responsibilities some of those responsibilities we share 
just by the nature of the role because mm -hmm. of parent, spouse, ch you know, child. And, but I can relate to that because I think it helps me become a better dad too. It slows me down and helps me think about the way they're thinking of something, which mm -hmm. helps me answer them more directly and more lovingly. That is, that is really sure. it. It is more lovingly because, you know, it's like everybody's got a lot of stuff going on. You know, how much, you know, at, and at some point in our lives, it catches up and we're just like, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to have a day where it's just like revent or whatever. Right. And, and how we handle that is how we handle that. And the more you got going on in life and after what's going on in the world of the last year, what you just said is really important. It's like, it actually, it, it actually has that potential. It actually has that potential. And that, that's the amazing thing. Sorry, I didn't interrupt you. Take it on this. No, no, no. I mean, I think it's really important what you're saying because we have to sort of remove the stigma. And that was yeah. my point. Like when I first got here, I still was living under the stigma of the mother who, in, who will use marijuana. Right. And I was thinking, oh, like the whole reefer madness, like this is bad. Like, so I need to make sure that I do it when my kids are just not around. Right. And that's, and, and it was CBD. It wasn't even marijuana. Like, so, but over time, and it's so acceptable here. So a lot of it has to do with environment. Yeah. It's so acceptable here. Like I had the conversation with my son when, because before I was even smoking out and I still don't smoke in front of my kids. Yeah. You know, um, my little one doesn't know anything about it, obviously. my I have a 15-year-old, so he does know about it, but he understands. We have rules. He's not allowed to smoke because he's not done growing. When he yeah. is done growing, he can smoke, Yeah. right? Um, as long as he's responsible and he has a job and he meets his, you know, because let's well, be real, so, uh, you know. Reality. Re exactly. There's reason. Exactly. 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 You're still here. You still have responsibilities. Mm -hmm. and this thing that's what i was saying this like like some people actually like because i've done that when i was out of high school it's like i did it when i was young right exactly and yeah i think a lot of people do that i don't know many people who are really dialed in to the point where it's like yeah i just did it to i don't i don't know too many people like that <laughs> who, who were able to use it when they were really young and crazy and yeah i just did it for this and that it was like no i was trying to party and escape yeah and that that is what needs to be guarded against or alcohol is the same it's this it's the same so you don't oh, you're not gonna let your kid drink to get drunk and escape you know reality with that it's the same sort of thing but if you if if they're done growing actually marijuana is better for your kid if you're gonna let them do something right yeah you know i my kids like he's done growing he's done well in school he's you know, everything is as it should be. And he, it's not showing any signs that it's diminishing him in any way. And again, he's done growing. That's like my sticking point. I keep saying if he's done yeah. growing because that's important to me. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with marijuana except for when you're not fully formed, then yeah. it is a problem. And I think the studies show that. And for people that have chronic um, mental health issues, like serious deep depression should really consult with a professional and stuff before they even try it or maybe shouldn't even smoke marijuana 
right? So you have to be current on what's, you have to be aware for yourself. You know what I mean? It doesn't, like mild cases of depression, it can actually help. But like, I'm talking about serious mental health issues. You want to talk to Somebody a medical professional, right? Well. Exactly. You're going to take this thing that's psychoactive. You, you, you need encouragement. You need to be encouraged in the right direction, mm-hmm. not allow your own thoughts to further bring you into the wrong direction. I'm following you completely, Kia. That's cool. Yeah. And this is the kind of stuff that really does matter when it comes to doing this because the stigma is, I mean, I'm in Virginia and Virginia is one of those, like, it's like a Southern state, but it doesn't know what it really wants to be, right? It's like, it's close <laughs> to DC. So it's like, it's, in, it's interesting. But uh, yeah, I, I use a vape pen. I use, I use, uh, I like, I, I, you know, I do like joints. I like rolling joints, but sometimes it's just like, <laughs> I, I I can't smoke inside. So my wife and I will go outside. We have to put the kids to bed. We'll, we'll have our time together. We'll hang out, relax. I love it's, that. It is, it is, it is. It, it's That's like, fun. it was like, it was like we got a piece of time back together, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like, we did this together. And she was like, you, she was like, you need to, you need to try that because you're, you're kind of trying to get unbearable. And she was like, <laughs> yeah. it was me. It was me. It was like, I was too edgy. And it was like too used to living like the military life. Right. And it's like, you get home and, and you're still that person, but you're, you, you've muted it a bit. Right. Because you know, you're at home, you know, you're, you know, you're still like, you're, you're handling all kinds of stuff. Boom, 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 boom. And you're dealing with adults that are doing the same thing. And it, it, it makes it a lot easier to relate to my kids. And it's it's a pretty amazing. There's a guy that I, that I just came across. He wrote a book about it. My mom and dad working with the marijuana industry. And he wrote it for his own kids. And I'm going to reach out to him because I think that that is, that is probably one of the biggest things. Because I just don't see how somebody could say, well, yeah having a couple of drinks. And I, I think, I think visually when somebody smokes and they're around somebody that doesn't smoke and they they have a negative stigma on it, they just look at your eyes and they're just like, you look messed up. Right. And it's like, your eyes just got squinty and, and red and bloodshot, <laughs> but that, you know what I mean? But then it's kind of like, but that same person could have like two or three drinks and, and actually be uh, a bit more bitter or a bit more like, you know, just angry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my point. And that's where it's kind of like depressed. Yeah. And, and I think that part of the stigma has come from the visual appearance that some people get when, I mean, when I, when I came back to doing it, I mean, it'd been, I'd been 20 years and it's like over 20 years actually. And when that stuff hit me right in the forehead, smack dab in the forehead <laughs> key. I was like, my wife was like, are you okay? I was like, this one feels like it slugged me right in the middle of my forehead. And then it passes and I'm like, okay, I'm good. Yeah. And you know, what's the difference between doing that and having a glass of wine? It's like, there is a difference between what you're experiencing. You know, a glass of wine can unwind you too. Yeah. But alcohol is a depressant. Mm-hmm. It is tied to a lot of crime. And mm-hmm. that's what's interesting about this. There's, there's a huge shift. It's, it's an interesting time to be alive. It that is. is. For sure. Yeah, I, n- I never thought... I would, I would see the day, uh, this is, it's, it's actually beautiful to this awakening that people are having and that we as a collective are, are shifting um, the way we perceive these things because 
It's like, if this is something that can help you be a better parent to be a better husband that can feel better within your own self. Like, I love that you said that it makes you more present with your kids and, and loving because you're not as edgy. Transitioning out of the military is freaking hard. It's weird. It is I hard. thought I was ready for it. I thought I was really ready for we it. We all do. <laughs> I was like, I've been getting myself a, like ahead five years. Like I was like, all right, five years from now, I'm probably going to be done. And I knew that the way I was going to be thinking would be a big part of that change. The way you mm -hmm. think about how you mm -hmm. conduct yourself every day changes. Yes. And that is, that, that was a bit more, that was a bit weirder than I thought. And I, weird is a broad term, but it's like, it, it's, uh, you are, you're, you're, you're not just changing jobs you're like you're you're because you're still for me it's like i'm still within my family right my job is now to take care of my kids full time mm -hmm. so it, it's been it's been interesting i don't want to i don't want to take up your time but it's been interesting now psychedelics i'm seeing a lot of stuff about psychedelics and veterans and i'm seeing more and more people yeah. on linkedin with it i'm seeing more uh investor groups like groups that are like usually for uh, cannabis ventures, investor groups, they're now starting to have webinars on psychedelics. What do you think about all that? <laughs> I think it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you know the history of them, they in the past were used as medicine and um, they helped a lot of people. I think Dean Martin, um, there's a documentary about it, uh, him and LSD and how it helped him. Dean, so, really? yeah, I love Dean Martin. So, I mean, th this is, I'm actually curiously enough going to attend a group, I think in two weeks, um, the Portland Psychedelic Society has, I think the third uh, Sunday of every month is for veterans. So I'm going to go to this group and sort of learn and, and see what they're about. But I, I understand that microdosing is super, super effective. When you have rigid thinking and you have, you get stuck, some people get stuck on a loop of thinking yeah. in their mind and they cannot get out of that loop of their own. Now imagine a, a loop of negative thinking, like I want to yeah. die. Yeah. Right. Usually you think of a veteran who comes out of the military, they they've done all these deployments in the Middle East. They've seen untold horrors. They've done some things maybe they are having difficulty living with and they just think, you know what, I shouldn't be alive and they can't get out of that thought. Eventually, they're going to take their life. But the thing about psychedelics, what they're capable of doing and small, it doesn't even, and I'm not talking about you're having a full hallucinogenic trip. I'm talking about small medicinal doses. Micro, of, did you say micro? micro? Yeah, like of plant medicines. They're natural. They're from the earth. You know, like you know, we always say that, you know, God gave us all the trees and all of that and all the yeah. herbs and everything to use, right? Yeah. And nature creates medicine for us. We just have to find it. We don't even know what half the things are in the rainforest okay. that could probably be saving lives, right? So there's probably a plant or, or an herb to solve this. And historically, in the old days, women used to know these things and they get these herbs and plants and eventually those women became called witches, okay? When when the mentality shifted to take women out of out of leadership roles, right? Yeah. So in, in small villages and communities. So they became ostracized, but these 
medicine women were always mixing up these concoctions of little things to help people in their communities. And But somewhere along the way, we started to think that manufactured medicines had to be the answer. When it's really, we have so much from in nature and these are from nature, right? So if you take these little doses of, of these, these plant medicines, you can unstick your thinking, right? And you can, it, it, so I'm a huge advocate of this on my podcast because there's a lot of alternative therapies and I'm not just talking about plant medicine. I'm talking about like um, ketamine infusion, MDMA is becoming something new in the I'll next two years. Like yeah. watch out for that. That's going to explode in the next two years. Right. And, and here where I live, I live in Washington, but just at the border of Washington and Oregon. Okay. So it's 20 minutes into Portland for me driving in Oregon, drugs are legal right? We are not seeing like huge crime ticks and like all of those kinds of crazy things. We're actually seeing like less, right? So it's an interesting, I think the states are going to be watching what happens there because it's an interesting dynamic and and you're seeing so much of this um, plant medicine stuff and all of these alternative medicines cropping up here and they're helping people. So what I tell people on my show all the time is if it's between your loved one killing themselves or trying this, are you really that opposed to it? I don't care what your religious background is. If your mother, father, sister, brother, son, daughter, cousin, uncle, aunt, anyone in your family was going to die because they were so miserable and unhappy, they, they could not get out of it. Or they were going to try this. Would you, would you judge them? Would you shame them? Would you tell them not to try it if it could save their life? So my point is, no, you wouldn't. Okay. You would not rather see your loved one die than to try marijuana or any of these things that could make them live a longer life. With a better quality of life. Exactly. So do the research. There's tons of research out there now. It's And we have the internet. So you can, while you can't believe everything you read on the internet, you have to use your (laughs) discernment, okay? And like, there's books though. There's tons of books. There's scholarly studies. There's so much empirical evidence from studies conducted over like months and months, years and years and years. I mean, since the 60s, maybe even earlier, you know, there's so much documentation, there's so much research that has gone into this, that what would it hurt to study, to take, to look, to, to investigate on your own? Because I, I am, I am the proof that taking, being my own best advocate medically and stepping outside of the box to create my own treatment plan really worked for me. Being open to try something. Um, and I and I had smoked weed when I was younger and, and I knew it helped me then. Like that's what helped me be able to be, I did, you know, I did, I toured around with pro wrestlers. I did wrestling shows. I did a little fitness modeling. I did a little regular modeling. I kept a corporate job for many years. <laughs> like I had, I was very, I hung out with my, like I had a life, even after I got diagnosed with this stuff, because largely because of cannabis. 
And because I, you know, I, I started to take things, energy supplements and stuff like that. And I created sort of like these things that I did to manage my pain, to get myself energy, you know, so that I could work out. And, you know, if I had enough energy to work out, that would help me also have energy. But when you have no energy and you're just in bed, like, and you're in pain. So number one, eliminate the pain. Number two, get yourself some energy. Number three, start working out. And it started fueling itself around in a loop, change your diet, start finding out what foods affect your illnesses. And so when I started to realize I could treat fibromyalgia, like an autoimmune disorder and started adopting some of those diets, I added back in cannabis. Um, and it's, it's just, I have done microdosing. So I think it's a wonderful thing, a wonderful, wonderful experience to, to have. Um, it actually really helped me get out of a stuck pattern of thinking. So I can say that it worked for me. Um, but, and I think that it works for a lot of people. Of course, you have to be smart. It may not work for you. So you go into it knowing it may not work for you, yeah. but at least you try. Or, you know, you there may be, once you do your research, you may have a condition that it is not suggested for. Okay. And then you don't, you don't try it obviously, yeah. but don't go in blind. Um, and also create an environment where you're safe when you're experimenting with these things for the first time, you know, set the scene. The scene is really important, right? You want to be in a, um, a place where you're, you know, that you're safe. Maybe if you like music, have some music, have a journal nearby, you know, or have a a funny movie that you like to watch or something. If you're going to try cannabis, if you're going to try microdosing, you might want to have someone with you that you trust that's just nearby, or you might want to have some cool things around you. You also journaling, also music, um, lots of things that you can do to set the scene and create a safe space. If you have kids, I will have my kids with a friend. Right. And, and just, or if they're with their dad, these, these weekends now that I'm single again, um, I'm alone, you know what I mean? And I can create a safe and comfortable space for myself to enjoy these things and have these experiences, you know? So the, the micro dosing I found really fascinating because I'm like, wow, when I was, when I was, in high school and early college, or actually it was college. Now I didn't do anything when I was in high school, but drink. It's, it's like, I'm seeing these people like, yeah, we've been studying psychedelics for this. I'm like, how did they even get permission? <laughs> I'm just like, cannabis couldn't even be used, but all of a sudden that's like, all this stuff is cropping up. And I'm just like, this is really interesting. It's like, this stuff has been going on in the background in probably like observed circumstances and unobserved circumstances. And it's all coming to the front and mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's very interesting, but I see the military being used for it widely, like, like veterans, specifically like everything that you just talked about with somebody who, who uh, went to a war zone and is having psychological problems now that they're back. And that could be from physical and psychological injuries, but it is just amazing. Cause I think about like, you know, you think about, the 60s right and it's kind of like <laughs> now like like it was very much military is very much against these drugs i mean the coast guards they're one Zero of their drug. yeah Zero one of their missions is is counter narcotics mm-hmm. and uh but now here we are 
it's 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 about to go by the wayside at least for the psychedelics and the cannabis mm-hmm. and uh it, it's just it's just really strange to me i mean i'm not against it i'm not against it i think that psychedelics are very powerful and it's good that there are some people that have some training in it like medical professionals that that are familiar with it and how to do it to guide people through things it's uh it's quite an interesting quite an interesting concept and i don't know if i'd ever do it again i know i did it when i was in college but i don't know if i'd ever do it again now i i'm the cannabis is is good for me i do the vape pen i like the vape pen too for some reason when i first started using that thing i would cough like it would just it would just kill me <laughs> i don't know why i couldn't figure that out i was like hitting it like, too hard what's that <laughs> You're hitting it too hard. You have to go easy. easy. And I do. I, I I don't have it dialed up. I'm so, so, you know, when you're driving it, I don't know. Here, here's what I saw. This is like when I saw, okay, that must be a vape pen. I'm driving on the freeway and it looks like Thomas the Tank Engine just blew up his, his phone <laughs> right in front of me, but I don't smell smoke. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, mm-hmm. that is wild. So I was like, all right, I don't want to do that. I'm going to save this oil. I'm going to turn it down about halfway, but it still gets me. But I still like it. I do. I do. I like it. I, I'll hit it in the middle of the night. If I get up to use the bathroom, I'll, I'll, I'll take a 10 second pull on that vape pen and go back to bed. And, mm-hmm. and it's great. And that That's is nice. like sleep. Sleep is oddly enough. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it's like my sleep just got really horrible over the last like four or five years, like really horrible. And since I, since I've been retired, I don't use anything for sleep now. Just that. It's just, it's good. It's really good. It is good. I love the vape pen. I love the packs because it comes with an app. So on the app, you can adjust how much flavor or potency it is. So me, I like flavor. <laughs> so I have it set more. So I, I want to, right now I have a raspberry Skywalker in my pen and it tastes like raspberries. <laughs> There's an indica. I don't smoke sativa because I um, I can be an anxious person. I have struggled with anxiety in the past. So I sort of stray away from a sativa. A hybrid is okay, but a sativas can be cerebral. And the person that gets anxiety doesn't want to be up in their head thinking. <laughs> like all the, I usually do an indica that will relax me. Now the trade-off is it gives you more munchies. But um, but there's so much more to it. It's not just like indica and sativa anymore. There's so many um, the composition make makeup of what they're doing. It's so scientific now, and um, you've got to. There's so much to learn um, as you get more involved with it. Like and and then you can really craft like um, an experience with uh you know a a particular brand or a particular flavor or like you can you can sort of create your experience per experience um really personalized now that i think is cool i think that's really cool because i did i tried the uh my thought you know what i thought that i thought that i wanted the sativa i thought because i was i was like Mm -hmm. my energy is low i want to increase my energy i don't want to drink more coffee I'm staying at two cups of coffee and that's it. And I had the similar, I had the similar, similar reaction. And a guy I know, he was like, cause he thought he was like, Oh, I'd rather have Indica. And I was like, I need sativa. I'd rather have, I'd rather have the energy. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you got enough coming at you in this world. And he's like, you don't need to, you don't need to 
accelerate it. You know, it's and and that's what I after I experienced that because I told him I was like, you know what, you were right. I he's like my heart started pounding. My heart didn't pound, but I was definitely more awake, and I was kind of like, well, this isn't quite as relaxing as I see other. <laughs> I mean, I was still enjoying myself, but I was like, not quite the same, you know. Mm-hmm. And that found that pretty interesting. I found that pretty interesting. So when you're talking about like the customized experience, where it's kind of like you can actually get it down to the point where it's like. I want to have this experience at that time and for, for mm-hmm. you can, they're getting it down. And that's where I think no, it's there. What's that? It's there. <laughs> California. I love Cali because you can get it delivered to your house here. I haven't found anywhere that like their specialty is delivering, but when I go to Los Angeles, you can have it delivered to where you like in my Airbnb, yeah. they will deliver. It's insane. Like in Denver, Colorado is different too. They have even a broader selection of things. Yeah. Huh. See, I haven't been, I haven't been. <laughs> I haven't been. <laughs> I was born and raised in Michigan and I went up to Michigan and they've been legal there. And it was wild seeing like billboards with all these cannabis dispensaries on there. I was like, yeah, this is wild. I can't believe Michigan did this. It's wild. Yeah, it yeah. is crazy. Every state's going to do it sooner or later. The The revenue from taxes is ridiculous. I know. Why would you? This could totally decrease the deficit if every state adopted this or it went federal i i it's like the end of prohibition for alcohol and how that helped end the depression (laughs) and you know and and i've been tracking that historical thing too it's like the spanish flu hit you had the depression world war ii and then you had Mm -hmm. prohibition ban or lifted and Mm -hmm. there yeah i I agree it's going to go federal because it has to they need to make money off of something else now psychedelics are next that 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 uh, that's something that I'd actually like to talk with you more about on a, on another episode because that one is fascinating. And uh, being that you've actually used it and you've done the microdosing, I just have questions of like, like, how would you even know? And I I, I know I know I think our time's a little bit limited here right now, but like some for next time, it's like, how do you even know that that place is even safe to go to? And it's not like a it's not a sting operation because you're going. <laughs> like man that's like it's interesting that whole that whole subculture that is starting to come to the forefront again without a uh without the movements that were taking place in the 60s right that was a major counterculture civil rights movement era and it seems like this world rehashes styles every 30 years right so in the 90s the 60s were being rehashed right they're they're bringing all the 60s stuff back and it was but it was now it was with grunge music and and rap and hip-hop and and that's when (laughs) those two those three those genres really broke in the 90s right and we just came out of the 2010s where the 80s were in fashion right Mm -hmm. and it's like okay the 80s were in fashion i don't know why people think some of those fashions were cool (laughs) like I, I now okay i just i won't go into it but i'm like wow really? <laughs> people made fun of mom jeans i don't get it i don't get it and, and then some of the men's styles too i'm just kind of like okay you know some of it's cool but but here we are 2020s and i can't stop seeing i mean i just see 90s stuff mm-hmm. i see a I lot of it and it's kind of like wow i mean i dig it but i don't dig the i didn't dig the apathy of the 90s you know what mm, i mean that was the only yeah. thing about the 90s that i that i was like you know what they could have made a lot more music that was like, no, actually living is good. 
and you should do it and you should love one another instead of apathy. <laughs> we, we were an angry group. <laughs> you know, I think, I think, well, Gen Xers have seen it. Right? Like, Gen Xers have really seen it. Gen Xers have seen it. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, the, the institutions or the institutions that the baby boomers had put their trust in were all of a sudden falling apart. Like you had mm -hmm. people doing these white collar crimes, tanking people's pension plans for That's hundreds and thousands of people. People have dedicated their lives to that. That's why I studied forensic accounting. And, that's why and I studied that's, finance. I, and I was like, that's interesting, Kia. Forensic mm -hmm. accounting. Yeah. Why? It would be the last question because that's been <laughs> Well, the reason why is because I um I knew someone who uh had experienced fraud and they hired a forensic accountant to discover it. And um that it was they were so destroyed because they say that this is a victimless crime right it's financial crime it's white collar but it does destroy lives it does and um and i watched i saw it happen i saw it happen so it it it, it has always impacted me um my friend died oh, and really? yeah and so um in his honor my new production company that I'm slowly starting to put in place is going to be named after his business. Mm -hmm. But that is what was the catalyst for me to study accounting and finance and later forensic accounting. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. We've come full circle. We have literally come full circle, Kia. We have. And you brought it back. You brought, you brought us here. That's cool. <laughs> well, Kia Baker, thank you very much. Check her out. The Warrior Women's, let me, let me get the right page. The Warrior Women's well, Project. Women Warrior Stories. Women Warrior Stories. That's, <laughs> that's, the, right. that's the video series. That's the online video series. That's the video series. The Currently Female Veterans Podcast. Channel, the, yeah. And will it be staying there? Will it be going somewhere else? So how, like people can... Um, well, um, it's in pre-production, Women okay. Warrior Stories. But if you want to hear my work now, you can yes. check me out anywhere you listen to podcasts on the female veterans podcast or you can see my live stream show it's called hot topics live i stream to facebook we're just starting to stream to um youtube actually we've been streaming there for a while but we haven't told anyone so we don't have really any subscribers so if you want to subscribe to that <laughs> feel free um you can go um uh, you will you to find it because it's not really available for everyone yet you will have to put kia and hot topics live and okay. it'll come up and then you can subscribe <laughs> we'll do a search with kia k-i-a hot topics live and yep. pull up yep right on well kia it's been fun i've had a good time you're a great soul kia you're a great oh, soul thank you i want to do, do this again but i don't know when but i would really like to talk with you more about the psychedelics and then also religion with that, because I think that there's, I don't think psychedelics and religion can actually separate. And I don't mean religion like in terms of like, this is a brick and mortar denomination. I mean, mm -hmm. beliefs and, and beliefs mm -hmm. about origin of life, meaning of life, morality of life and destiny. That's, that's what I'm talking about. And I mm -hmm. think those things, you know, you know, it's like, yeah, you talk about you're getting, you're getting into that. You start opening up that mind and these things, 
these things are the forefront and i believe they're already at the forefront and we live with these with ideas and what we believe about these four quadrants of life all the time we but it's a reaction it's like it's and, and i can this is why i want to talk about that because when you're talking about you get stuck into like some people will get stuck into a a mental loop of thought like negative mm -hmm. and it needs to be broken right and i think that that same thing happens and there's so much untapped potential in the human being because we get stuck in these i would almost you, you know, i would i i cliches sometimes it's like a cliche will answer that well no there's actually a bit more to it i get what you're trying to say on the surface but there's a bit more to it than that and that is always mm -hmm. fascinating to me kia thank you so much for being here it was a fun time i enjoyed it love you very much and i look forward to having you again this is Miguel Torres with Kia Baker signing off for the night. Conversation Cannabis and Christianity. Love you all very much. We'll see you next time.